The following is a presentation by The Tabernacle, a community of changed lives. For more information regarding service times, or if you would like to make a donation to The Tabernacle, you can do so by visiting our website at www.thetabchurch.com. The Biggest Story, written by Kevin DeYoung and illustrated by Don Clark, published by Crossways. Chapter 10. As you can tell, this story is a big story. In fact, it's the biggest story. It's a familiar story to some of us. It's a true story for all of us. But we haven't seen the end of the story. Not yet. We live in the beginning of the end of the story that we are still in the middle of. We know it's not the end because we haven't made it back to the garden. We get glimpses of the garden here and there, in our hearts, in our families, in the church. But anybody who loves this story longs to see the one who is at the center of the story. The snake crusher is coming back again to wipe away all the bad guys and wipe away every tear. He's coming to make a new beginning and to finish what he started. He's coming to give us the home we once had and might have forgotten that we lost. So keep waiting for him. Keep believing in him. Keep trusting that the story isn't over yet. God's promises never fail, and the promised one never disappoints. One day we will see him. One day we will be with him. One day there will be nothing but the best days, day after day after day after day. And forever and ever, it will be a wonderful time to be God's children in God's wonderful world. Welcome. Whether here tonight or you're joining us in Manistee, online, or in cell block C, we're grateful that you're here. And specifically, I want to take just a moment to send a shout out to a friend in cell block C. Because last week, we had a beautiful opportunity to meet some of your family. There was a wife here last week that said one of the most beautiful things I think has ever been said about our church. She said to her child that we took some time to say hi to daddy tonight. When the child asked, well, what, is, what does that even mean? She explained that we all took a moment to thank and to applaud those that were joining us from the cell block in Manistee. What I thought was amazing was after that, the little girl said, oh, and mommy said, we normally don't talk about that. But they talk about that here, so we can talk about that here too. And that's our church, and that's a beautiful thing. My name's Martin, and I am the student ministries pastor here. And for some of you that have been around church world for a long time, maybe you grew up in the church, this seems awfully familiar. There's that awkward week between Christmas Eve and the new year and oftentimes it's referred to as Youth Pastor Sunday. <laughs> right? The lead pastor's tired. There's a lot of that Christmas Eve preaching, so the young guy gets a shot at it. But I want to tell us that tonight that's not at all the case. And I'm proud to say that we're, I'm actually up here tonight for a reason that uh, is a little bit more impressive, I think, at least. See, our lead pastor, John, he's taken the time uh, this weekend to join Westside Community Church. Our neighbors, our brothers, our sisters, just across town, 
And he's going to be preaching there as a part of God's church. Not our church, not their church, but the church that has no walls. What God called us to. And that gave me the distinct privilege and opportunity to be here with you to close out the biggest story. And I can't tell you how excited I am about this. Throughout December, we've gone through this story that we call the biggest story. And some of you, if you're brand new or you joined us for the first time on Christmas Eve, you're probably trying to figure things out right now. Why are they reading from a children's book? That chapter made no sense to me. Well, it probably shouldn't. It was chapter 10. It was the end of the book. But we followed this journey, the biggest story, the story of the snake crusher, from the garden and Adam and Eve all the way through to Revelation, when we'll see Jesus again. We've gone through the ups and downs of human history, where we start in the garden in almost perfection, and Adam and Eve mess things up right away. And we've gone through the prophets in Israel, and those familiar stories that so many of us don't know, and we've walked through that together. As we come to the pinnacle, in my opinion, of human history, Jesus' birth, life, death, and most importantly, resurrection. We've walked through this together in a book that was written so simply that a five-year-old can grasp every piece of it. But it leaves nothing left for us that we've missed. It's one of the most amazing children's books I've ever read to my children, and I know they've loved it, and I've enjoyed it this December as well. So over the last month, we've gone through that entire story and the entire process to come to this point that, in my opinion, is a very unique time in history. Kevin DeYoung says it in almost the most confusing way you can imagine it. He says, we're at the beginning of the end of the story that we're still in the middle of. You want me to say that again? We're in the beginning of the end of the story that we're still in the middle of. That means we're in this place where we've seen Jesus come. We've seen Jesus live, die, and raise again. He's defeated Satan, sin, and death. And yet we're still here, and sin is still in our world. It's a precarious place for us to be, isn't it? And I think for some of us, we find ourselves in this recap going, man, this is a weird story. I thought the end would be when he rose. But we know, if we know our Bible well, and some of us, this next scripture that we read, it's a very familiar one. But I think that we can gain some perspective from one of the wisest men in the Bible. One of those people that is referred to for his wisdom but takes the time in Ecclesiastes to give us just a bit of perspective. So if you're following along on a device or in your Bible, I'd ask you to open to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We'll read for the first few verses there. And I think that we'll gain a little bit of perspective on where we've been and where we're going. Ecclesiastes reads, For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to turn away, a time to search and a time to quit searching, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be quiet, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. 
And then Solomon asks this question. He says, what do people really get for all their hard work? I've seen the burden God has placed on us all. Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. For each and every one of us, that scripture, maybe it's familiar. Maybe you've been to a few funerals that you've heard it. Maybe you've heard it at a wedding. It's used in a lot of different places. But for us today, I think it gives us perspective. Because each and every one of those contrasts gives us a perspective of the garden. It's a glimpse of the garden. The good, the dancing, the laughter, the love, the peace. Those were things created for us when Adam and Eve were first in the garden. Much the same, we see the contrast with the brutality and the sorrow in the grieving and the weeping and the hate and the war. We understand, we begin to gain the perspective that in this place that we're in, in this time that we're in now, we're still there where we get glimpses. Life gives us glimpses of the garden. And they're beautiful. We see them for just a moment sometimes. But we're also trapped in a place where weeping and death and sin are still around. We're not quite there yet. We haven't quite hit the end of the book. And for those of us in this room, I hope that we can be encouraged by the fact that we're not at the end. I love that part where in the book it says, keep hoping, believe that he will still come. If we found ourselves in a place where we thought the battle was over, it would almost be disappointing because we're in this place where it is still painful. And some of us know that extremely well. But instead today, I want to focus on the fact that life gives us glimpses of the garden and that those glimpses are something that we savor, we love, and we hold on to. They're some of the most beautiful moments in life, and some are so simple. They're a sunrise that as it comes up, we fumble for a phone or a camera because we want to capture the beauty, even though we know that it'll never quite meet the original. Some are a little bit more in depth. They're a meal that we once had at a restaurant we probably will never be able to afford again, where the food melted in our mouth and we'll always remember that. Some, they involve our family or our church. Some of us, it's that day that we woke up knowing that we were going to marry our best friend. And we saw the look on her face as we walked down the aisle. These are glimpses of the garden. These are where God has gifted us hope. Because we get to see just a little bit of the joy and peace and love that he intended for us from the very beginning. It can be one of the most encouraging things in the world. And I know for me, oftentimes I fall back into this place where I love these moments so much, I try to hold on to them with all that I have. These glimpses are something that when I see them, I don't ever want to let them go. And I think that we can track them for each and every one of us in this room, those moments in our past where we said, I hope this moment never ends. Maybe it was as simple as a trip to Florida away from a Michigan February. And we were on the beach with the sun shining in our face and we looked at somebody that we loved and we said, I hope we never have to go back. 
But we do, don't we? There's a time that we have to go back to that place. And even if we move to Florida, because I want to dispel this myth for all of our snowbirds, it doesn't matter if you go to Florida and stay for the winter. The pain, the sin, the trouble, they'll follow you. They may take a different form. Trust me, I've been trying to convince my wife to move south for a long time. She keeps reminding me that there will be other pain, that most of these places have things like hurricanes. We can never get away from the sin that's in this world. Not here, not now, not yet. But when I look at my family, and I don't mean Mira and Ziano and my wife and I, but I mean my family of origin, that child family. Do you, do you remember yours? I often look back at memories of Christmases or get-togethers, and I look back at them so fondly that I want to go back in time, and I want to savor that moment again. Because things aren't exactly the same as they once were for my family. See, there was a time where we had a lot of fun, and there was a lot of good times. There was a lot of laughter and joy and peace and love. But nowadays, things don't quite look like that. There's a lot more pain, and there's bitterness and anger and frustration and, and fights and feuds that have happened within my family. Before the addiction took a hold and before things started to fall apart, those are moments that sometimes I just want to go back to. And therein lies the danger for each of us, I believe. When we look at these glimpses of the garden and we do our best through our own power to hold on to them with all that we have. Or worse, try to reproduce them. Maybe not even for ourselves. Maybe it's for our children. Well, I remember when I was a child and we did this and it was the most beautiful Christmas that had ever happened. So I've put it all together and this is, this is going to be it. This is going to be the Christmas that finally meets the expectations that I've always had. Finally takes me back to that glimpse of the garden that I once had. But within our means, we can't quite do that, can we? I mean, I think they made an entire movie about this. Clark Griswold tried to put it all together. Didn't quite work out for him, did it? But for me, I know that I've tried to provide this for my children, to make something better than what I had, and to hold it all together because I reach back into the past and I want to hold on to these moments. And I can't blame those of us that do that. And I hope you don't blame me. Because they're meant for a reason. These moments aren't bad. Nothing is bad about wanting to enjoy and remember the family that I once had. And how happy things were in those moments. But the danger lies when we begin to remember them so fondly that we'll do anything to go back there. When we begin to prop them up and worship them instead of the one that created the moments for us in the first place. See, God gave us these moments so that we would have hope because he knows that we're weak. And we knows, he knows that we don't ever make it through this life if only we deal with the sin and the pain and the struggles of this world. Because it's too much for us to bear. It's too much for me to bear. But for each and every one of us, he's given us these glimpses. And when we start to idolize them, we begin to worship the created instead of the creator. See, Romans reminds us, I believe it's chapter 1 somewhere, verse 25 maybe, that we are to worship only the creator and not what he created. And even in these moments, these glimpses of the garden, those are what he created. 
See, I think that that's a danger for each and every one of us because when we prop them up, we start to realize that more often than not, they're not what we remembered them to be. They're not exactly as wonderful. They're not quite as perfect. Maybe we talk to our mom and she reminds us of all those wonderful memories that we had and she's like, you had no idea what was going on behind the scenes, did you? That's a good mother. Well done. We shouldn't always know as children. But I look back at that past and I want to grab a hold. I want so desperately to bring it back and that's when it becomes dangerous for me. Because as C.S. Lewis puts it, they become dumb idols that break the hearts of their worshipers. I think each of us have done this to something in life, and it's not always in the past. Sometimes it's in that moment where we tell ourselves, man, I just hope this never ends, but we can feel it ending. It's that sunrise that we saw that was so beautiful, but we knew that the clouds were beginning to take hold, and it was disappearing even as we watched. It's because the glimpses were never meant to be what we worshipped. Not for a moment. See, we need not live for the glimpses of the garden. We need to live for God, not the glimpses. We need to live for God, not the glimpses, because God created them, and God has made them perfect. God is the one that will one day bring us back to a place where there is no more sin And there is no more death and there is no more pain. But until then, we will bear through the sin, the pain, and the struggle. And it's not wrong. I want to say this again. And I want to be sympathetic to those of you in the room right now. Because maybe like you, there are people in those past memories that are no longer with you today. And for me, that's one of the hardest things in the world. Because the reason we savor these memories so often is very simply because we want so desperately to see them again. Don't we? And that's okay until we begin to prop it up and we put everything else on hold and that becomes the only thing that we can focus on. We know this because we become unhealthy. We separate from the people that we love and we start to distance ourselves oftentimes from the God who is the only one that can help us through that time. I think that there are a lot of examples that we can use when we start to think about things that we have put in our lives, these moments that we have propped up as so amazing, so beautiful, so wonderful that all we want to do is reattain them. But a couple of days ago, I watched a documentary. And I got to tell you, it didn't click as I first started to look at this message, but there came a time where all of a sudden it dawned on me, wow, that's what's going on there. So some of you may have seen this. It's pretty new out, but it's called Free Solo. And no, it has nothing to do with Star Wars. It's about a guy that decided that he wanted to climb, free climb, El Capitan. It's a 3,000-foot sheer rock face in Yosemite. I think we've got a picture of it somewhere. He decided that he wanted to climb this mountain with no ropes, no safety gear, nothing. Now, there's some thrill seekers in the room that, can, that are after my own heart that are going, yeah, that seems pretty cool, except for the no ropes thing. That seems terrifying. Now, there's only one path through this mountain that will actually get you up there, safely at least. There's a couple of different deviations, but as he looked at this, I began to wonder, why in the world would somebody do this? Now, that was kind of what the entire, entirety of the documentary was about. It was about this young man, and it followed him through his progress as he began to prepare to climb this mountain. 
And it was funny because I wasn't the only one wondering what would make somebody want to do this. They actually gave him an MRI at one point. They wanted to find out if he was nuts. Lo and behold, his fear thing, it worked. It just didn't work quite like yours and mine does. But I think we got a little bit more of an answer about what was actually going on, not from the MRI, but at one moment in this documentary, the young man looks into the camera and he says, sometimes it just feels good to attain perfection, even just for a moment. See, he had found something, and I've got to tell you, that mountain is beautiful. I believe that it was a glimpse for him. Because I don't know that only believers get a glimpse of the garden. I think for some of us, we've gotten that glimpse well before we ever knew who created it. Maybe this young man knows. I don't know. It didn't talk about his faith. But I do believe that he found something in climbing that struck a nerve and became for him that moment that he wanted more of. Some of us that know people in our lives that struggle with addiction, we understand that this is oftentimes the pattern. We know that we find something in life that, whether it's good or it's bad, because not all addictions start out with something bad. They can start out with something that is in and of itself harmless and become something that we put everything we have into. I would argue that there's a good chance that this young man found that on the top of a mountain. And he saw that mountain as something that just climbing could no longer handle. So he found a way to up the ante. He wanted it to be a little bit more. So he decided that he would climb without a rope, without a helmet, without even a person there to see him if he fell. And I thought it interesting because one section of the documentary talked about what I believe is so often what happens in these moments. It talked about all of the climbers that had, tried, that had done this free soloing and died. It went through about a half a dozen names of people that had decided that for them, the new moment, the new high, the new greatest thing in the world was going to be climbing without ropes. And it cost them their life. For us in this room today, I don't believe that I know anybody that's planning to climb El Capitan. I know I'm not. My wife wouldn't allow that. But what I do know is the fact that there are each and every one of us have found a moment in our life that we've grasped back for and we want to hold on to so tightly. And sometimes it can still cost us our life. Maybe not in a literal sense, but maybe even worse in a way that we give up everything in our world to reattain that moment, that glimpse of what we believe will make us happy, will bring us perfect joy, will be that bringing us back to the garden moment. But it's in those moments that we find them so lacking because they can never do what God promised that he would do. I've never once in my life found a moment in time that would somehow tell me what God has for me on the other side of this life. But I do know that there have been moments in my life where I've had things so bad, so rotten, so terrible that I've thought, I just can't wait for God to come back. When's Jesus coming back? Have you ever said that? Has that ever been you? I can be the only one. I'm okay with that. But in those moments where I thought to myself, I just can't wait until he comes back, the, the trap is that we stay there. 
that we never come out of that. And all of a sudden, we give up our life because all we are focused on is this future eternity that is promised. Brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, I attest that eternity is not something far off in the future. But eternity started a long time ago. And that was the entire picture of that story that we've been doing all of December. See, it started in that garden and it'll end back in that garden. Eternity is not something we wait for. And it's a trap when we convince ourselves that we should. Should we hope for it? Absolutely. Should we look forward to it? By all means. Will I be so thankful to see my loved ones that I don't have here now? Yes. But we cannot stay in these seats convinced that that is what we look forward to and that is the only hope that we will ever have. See, because God didn't expect us to look forward to something. He gave us something that we could enjoy right now, didn't he? We can go back into that section of scripture where it says a time to laugh and a time to dance, a time to embrace and a time to love. He has given us so much that we can enjoy and we can revel in right here on this earth today. Church, I want to encourage you that this is not a message about a future hope. This is a message about hope that we have today. In the beginning of the end of that story that we're still right in the middle of, God has given us such great hope, such great joy, such great beauty. And I think for some of us, our struggle is we just don't even know how to interpret it. See, Lewis, he goes on in that section of his book, and I I can't recall the name of it right now, and he tries to explain how hard it is for us to somehow define those glimpses of the garden that we've had. We find ourselves lacking for words because it's so far beyond what we understand, but he, he reminds us that there's a reason that we can't quite explain it, that we can't explain just how amazing it is, and that we fall on words like beauty and wonderful, and great, and awestruck. Because they're the best we can do to describe something we've never actually seen in its entirety. See, we have the stories about the garden, don't we? We know what it looks like. We read about Adam and Eve and the beauty and that God walked with them for a time. And we know that there will be a future garden where the tree of life springs up again and that that will be just as beautiful. And it's something that as a church we should and we can be excited about. It's something that is amazing, but we can't even begin to understand it or describe it. My favorite thing in the world is when my children ask me the question, Daddy, what will it be like? (laughs) Babe, I got no idea. It's amazing. I can only imagine. And we, we read the Bible and the imagery in the Bible talks about these golden roads and these beautiful things and They're the best our little minds can even begin to attain. But the hope isn't just for a future, it's for today. And for a church full of people that come from different backgrounds, I think that one of my fears is that maybe some of you were raised in a church that I first went to. One that brought you to faith through fear. That Jesus was really just the best get out of jail free card. He was your pass into heaven and nothing else. There was no relationship. There was no know him today so that you can emulate his life, that you can seek him now. It was just simply, hey, do yourself a favor. Accept Jesus. That way you don't have to go to hell. 
It terrified me. There was a time in my past where I would have told you that I was just hopeful that I had enough time between when I knew I was going to die and when I died to confess all my sins because I thought that was what you had to do. There's not much laughter in the room, a couple of chuckles here and there because some of you were raised in the same type of church I was. And that can be scary. But I can test to you that that's not what God's word says. God's word is a beautiful picture of the entirety of humanity and the fact that God chooses to reconcile with his people well before eternity happens. That this isn't about waiting until the end. That this is about what God is doing right now and your relationship with him today. I hope that there's somebody in this room that believes it as passionately as I do. Because as I stand up here and I'm excited about the fact that God is still working in the lives of people, I'm excited because I see it every day. I see it in the lives of this congregation. I see it in Manistee. I see it in Cell Block C. And in people that I'll never meet that watch this church service online, their lives are being changed because Jesus is moving and he's not waiting patiently in heaven going, you guys going to make it? That was never his goal. See, he wants more for us than what we want for ourselves sometimes, I think. And I think that more often than not, we put ourselves in a position where we live for the glimpses instead of living for God. So I'll ask you, church, what happens if we live for God and not the glimpses of the garden? What if we quit reaching back into our past for these moments we want to recreate? What if we quit reaching forward for an eternity we think will happen someday? And what if we live for God today? What if we expect to hear from our God each and every day of our life? And we expect to move based on that. What happens to our church? What happens to each of our lives, our families, our town, our country? Our communities. I believe that it changes drastically. And I think that as I go through this message, as I go through this scripture, as I go through this section of history that I believe that God is so passionate about, I believe that we have the opportunity to see lives changed like never before. I believe that we get to see lives changing each and every day and not just when there's a revival and not just on Saturday nights and Sunday mornings. I believe that God has something for each and every one of us today. And I think those glimpses are important. I really do. I think they're the road signs that point us to Jesus. I think they're meant to give us hope in the tough times and we're to remember them when things are tough. But we are never to set those road signs as the destination. It's never to be about those glimpses, those moments of near perfection, because then we would miss the truest destination, true perfection, which I believe isn't necessarily heaven or the garden. I believe that it's being in perfect communion with Jesus Christ. I think he could do that anywhere. And I believe that we serve a God that is big enough to meet us, even here, even today. See, as we wind down and I wrap this up, I think that it's important for us to remember that there's no question that Jesus is coming back. There is no time we have to take to hem over, to try to figure out, is Jesus coming back? It's very clear. We see it at the end of Matthew, the end of Mark. We see it in the book of Revelation, in the book of Thessalonians. There's your homework for the weekend, guys. 
Take some time and look into it. It is one of the most beautiful pictures in all of the Bible as we see that our Savior will come back for us. He didn't leave us here. He didn't leave us in the pain that we deal with today and he didn't forget the situation you're dealing with right now. But I believe that he did give us some words of encouragement. I think that he told us that there will come a day that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things will be gone forever. Is that not an encouragement? I think that that is one of the most beautiful pictures in all the Bible. But I think that some of us have gotten so focused on that day that we forget that he still has something for us right here, right now, today. So in just a few moments, we'll wind down and we'll settle into a moment of reflection, a time in which we will pray together as a congregation. And I want to encourage, I want to challenge each and every one of us today. As we begin to go into that time, as we search that out in our own hearts, I'll ask you one very simple question. What does God have for you now? Not what is heaven going to look like. Not what have you done in your past because I know that this church has seen marvelous things and lives have been changed and we've built buildings and we've created amazing services. We've got people that serve every weekend. And this isn't a push for you to get out of your seats and join the usher team or the tab kids team. Even though I will point out that our lead pastor is in the nursery and that makes me slightly nervous. What I'll tell you is that this is an opportunity to see God working in our lives right now, this weekend, this week, this year. Let's start the new year in a place where we expect God to move in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. And we can begin to see lives change because we're hearing him now and today. And we're not looking forward to something that might happen. So I'll ask you to bow your heads with me and I'll ask that question again. What does God have for you now? Father, I'm grateful that you're a God that is moving today. A God that has given us glimpses of your garden so that we might have hope in the desperate times here. Father, I want to pray and ask that you would give those glimpses, you would give those reminding moments to those in these seats today that need it most. Lord, those that are beyond these four walls that suffer and struggle, 
our brothers and sisters at Westside, those watching online, those in Cell Block C, those in Manistee, God, that you, the great consoler, would be with them, that you would remind them that there is a time where you will wipe away every tear. But God, I pray that each and every one of us would take seriously the fact that even in these moments today, that you don't want us so focused on a future hope that we forget that you're moving and that you can use us right now where we are. God, I pray that you would open each of our hearts to what you have for us. Lord, that you would encourage us, strengthen us, and move us toward your will. Lord, that we would see lives changed because of the obedience of your church, not just here, but around the world. God, that we would begin this period of time, this new year, in a way that would allow us to see our community, our church, and our families changed by your grace, your love, and your peace. God, we're grateful that we get to worship you here. And I pray that as we begin to worship together today, as the music comes back up, Lord, that we would give you your due, that we would worship with everything that we have, and that we would leave it all here for you. We love you, God. In Jesus' sweet and precious, powerful name, we pray. And all God's people said, amen.